and welcome to The Weekly Skeptic. I'm Nick Dixon and this is the second of our teaser prequel episodes. The last one went so well we thought we'd do another with founder of The Daily Skeptic, Mr. Toby Young and making his Weekly Skeptic debut, our environment editor, Mr. Chris Morrison. Now just quickly, last time we were criticised for not saying each other's names, which was strictly speaking impossible because we never know who's going to chip in when. So the only way to do it would actually be to say our own name first, like we're Alcoholics Anonymous. So I'll start. I'm Nick and I have a problem. Is there anything you want to share, Toby? Yeah, I'm. my name's Toby and I am an alcoholic. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I'm Chris and I too uh, like an occasional drink. <laughs> okay, good. We've got that out of the way. Um, yeah, so sorry to the listener. There is no real way to know. Hopefully you just know our voices. Mine's a kind of vaguely northern mumbly nasal thing you know toby's voice and you'll get to know chris so toby uh we were going to start with liz truss who has announced in a bombshell move uh, uh hustings that she's going to have no future lockdowns yes um she said this in response to a question um at some hustings um uh, in exeter um at the beginning of the week and um yeah i have sort of mixed feelings about this on the one hand it's obviously a good thing that the uh, leadership candidate who looks most likely to be our next prime minister um, has ruled out any further lockdowns. Um, it shows that at least amongst the Conservative Party membership, lockdowns are extremely unpopular. So I think um, you know lockdown sceptics can congratulate itself, or the daily sceptic as it now is, on having won the argument, at least amongst conservative members. And I think probably amongst the broader public too. I think lockdowns are no longer popular. And I think it would be politically difficult for another government at this stage to put us back into lockdown. Um, But on the other hand, I'm not sure, you know, it's not, you can't take politicians promises to the bank um at the best of times and you know uh, if, if 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 there was suddenly an outbreak of ebola then of course liz truss would lock us down again i mean i, I think it's it's conceivable that if there was a new more deadly variant of covid19 she'd probably lock us down again um so i don't think it's that it doesn't mean a great deal it's not something we can set much store by but it's certainly a good sign that she feels she has to say it in order to win the conservative leadership election yeah it's good for the 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 members don't want it i saw someone tweeting that this is great because it shows it's not popular with the electorate i'm thinking well not really it only shows it doesn't poll well with members and as you say politicians lie zahawi famously made some sort of claim and i mean there's a claire fox responded i think it was about covid passports saying we wouldn't have them then he suddenly yes. wanted them so can we trust it what do you think uh, chris uh well i'm uh, wondering uh, uh they're all suddenly coming out now and saying well i was never really in favor of it in the first place uh, even though she sat around the cabinet table and they locked down for nearly two years but she was having doubts then i mean i think we all agree that lockdown i mean if one's been very generous people say well you can understand the first one because it was novel but, but really, uh, the, the catastrophic social and economic damage has been done by this continual idea that you lock down for something that has the um, uh, fatality of, 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 of little more than influenza. Um, you, you just wonder what these people were smoking around the cabinet table, in, 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 in my view. And the fact that she's now said that she doesn't uh, think there'll be another lockdown, um, well, thank goodness, but um, it's a bit late. Uh, yes. 400 billion pounds later, two years wiped off children's education. You know, one needn't go on and on. Um, and they've suddenly decided that if we get a, uh, an Omnicron sniffled uh, again, oh, we won't be locking down. Well, you know, fine. Again, I mean, as you know, I'm, I'm, I'm here also as, as an interesting climate. Uh, I'm interested in, in, in their idea that you see in some of the more extreme parts of the climate uh, community, they start talking about climate lockdowns. And when you think about it, taking away people's ability to eat meat and to uh, fly in planes and to take away their cars is a form of lockdown. So um, any politician that says, no, I won't lock down um, is a good sign. But uh, as as I say, watch this space. Yeah, I think there is a risk that um, the Germans, uh, in pursuit of a, what, 20 percent reduction in um, the use of 
electricity um, uh, and power, I think, more generally over this winter, um, because otherwise they're going to run out of gas. Um, I can imagine the Germans uh, locking down in order to try and meet that target, um, you know, shutting down bars, imposing a curfew after seven o'clock, stop people going out, driving anywhere, etc. Uh, yeah, no, it's interesting what you say, Chris, about um, it's quite hard now to find anyone willing to uh, take any responsibility even in the very highest political circles for having locked us down uh, originally. I mean, it, it reminds me a bit um, of uh, the situation in 1989 when the Berlin Wall fell. There was a, fam- was a famous story about how, um, I think it was the, the, the New York Times's most celebrated columnist and occasional foreign correspondent, who I think it was called uh, Apple, possibly Johnny Apple. I might have got that wrong. Anyway, he 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 did a series of interviews with kind of um, pandrandrums in uh, the Soviet Union and Eastern Europe, uh, Eastern Europe, I think, um, as 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 the communist systems were collapsing like dominoes, and um, and and all of them were with people who were incredibly negative about uh, you know the communism that was collapsing and the New York Times editorial desk sort of contacted him in wherever he was Prague and said, you know, Johnny, uh, can we get at least one person to say something nice about, um, you know, the, the, the former communist control system? Um, you know, there, there must be some people who, who think that they actually had something to be said for it. You know, at the moment, your reporting is very one-sided and he couldn't, he, so he, he scoured, you know, the whole of Eastern Europe. And, and, and even though it was only a few weeks after the, you know, after these systems had, had collapsed, he couldn't find a single person willing to defend it. They're all, no, no, I was always against it. You know, I've never been in favour of it. And it's a bit like that with lockdowns. You feel like once the tide turns, it yeah. turns very quickly. I had a sort of t- taste of that too when uh, at the conclusion of the um, uh, Brexit debate, um, when the referendum was uh, won by the Leave side, I remember bumping into um, Lionel Barber. At, uh, at Piers Morgan's Christmas party, possibly in uh, the end of 2019. And I said to him, you know, um, perhaps we should set up a, a Truth and Reconciliation Commission so, um, you know, the Leavers and the Remainers can kind of uh, make up their differences and sort of put aside their... Dis- and, and, he, and he said, yeah, good idea, but why, why are you suggesting that to me? I said, well, you know, because you were such an avid Remainer as the editor of the FT at the time during the debate. And he said, no, 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 no. I always thought there was something to be said for Brexit. I was never 100 percent Remain. And it was like it was like, the, you know, the, the kind of the prince of the of the, the king of the Remainer party suddenly saying that he wasn't. He, no, he'd, he'd always he'd always seen both sides of the argument. It was quite extraordinary. But I thought after that, I thought, oh, we, we've won this. We definitely won. Yeah, I'm, I'm determined to never let certain people forget it. Just the Andrew Neils and, and the Karen Brady's and the Sean O'Grady's in the Independent, the people who said that the unvaccinated need to be punished and we need COVID passports, we need a separate lockdown for the unvaccinated. You know, we shouldn't f- forget those as well as the politicians. And let's not forget uh, uh, Piers Morgan himself, who was a serial COVID lockdown uh, uh, chap. Um, I mean, the, remember what these people were saying, a lot of them, and you see it the same with climate. They, they, they don't seem to be able to look at the whole picture. The, you know, remember those five o'clock press conferences where the only questions from the mainstream media was, um, well, Mr. Johnson, why aren't you locking down harder and faster? And, and you would see a commentary, I remember in the Daily Mirror once, that somebody was writing about how Johnson had 60,000 deaths on his hands. And this was the first 60,000 deaths were recorded with COVID um, in the first lockdown. And of course, they were attributed to Johnson because he didn't lock down in, you know, the November before, or whenever you know, there was the first whiff of, uh, of this thing called COVID nineteen, um, and and so that you do you do see a whole uh, phalanx of, of mainstream media journalists who are now suddenly ever so slightly trimming. Oh well, you know, I wasn't completely in favour of it. Well, it didn't sound like that at the time. The stuff you were writing, <laughs> it gave me the maybe it's us, but it gave me the impression you were actually very keen on it and you wanted us to lock down forever more. I mean. Yeah. Yeah, and I even got blocked by Piers Morgan for pointing that out to him. Sadly, yeah, well, you would be. He's a he's a rather sensitive um, chap, isn't he? Uh, he? He does block a lot of people. But, uh... I wonder if we're going it, to. It, it'll be interesting to see whether we'll see the same thing with the vaccines um, in due course. You know, once the evidence that um, for 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 you know people under sixty five who don't have any underlying 
health issues, the vaccines are likely to do more harm than good. Once that becomes, you know, the settled scientific view, maybe it never will. But you sort of feel that we're heading in that we're heading that way. And you, you, one imagines that if one, you know, as as country after country, you know, withdraws the vaccines and ends the vaccine rollout and lifts vaccine passports, um, so eventually the tide will turn in much the same way it has on these other issues. And you can imagine the kind of uh, avid vaccine boosters uh, rowing back and saying, well, no, I was always a bit ambivalent about these vaccines. <laughs> it, it, it is a medicine. All medicines have side effects, uh, blah, blah, blah. Well, you know, yes, they do. And I don't remember you actually saying that at the time when you were telling us that we couldn't go into a bar or travel abroad unless we had a, a, a dose of the, a, a, of the jab. Um, yeah, of course. I, I mean, I, yeah, you follow it in much more greater detail than I do, but it seems to me that uh, the vaccine... Uh, was a novel vaccine. I can understand why they they rushed it through, um, but uh, like all medicines, they do have side effects, and they, the side effects appear to be becoming more and more onerous. But the worst thing about it is, doesn't actually seem to work. I mean, you know, they, they they seem to work for about twelve weeks. Nobody mentions the AstraZeneca vaccine anymore, do they? Because that just that doesn't seem to work at all. Uh, it works for about twelve weeks, and then you've got to have another booster. So you've got to be sort of mainlining this stuff. Um, in order to get any sort of protection at all, and, and of course, it is it is a, a it, 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 when also none is a drug, and and you should not take drugs, in my view, unless you have to. Yeah, I had I, I had a um, uh, I had to confess to a moment of Schadenfreude uh, earlier this week. Um, one of the people who really singled me out for criticism as a lockdown skeptic, and actually I think used the phrase "blood on his hands," uh, was yeah. the Observer columnist uh, Nick Cohen. Um, I mean, odd, one of these kind of, um, you know, uh, left wing radicals who always has thought of himself as being anti establishment on the side of the underdog, completely sided with the establishment during the lockdown, became an became a cheerleader for, you know, the 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 Tory government, essentially, I mean, bizarre, but we saw that replicated, you know, across the piece. But, um, uh, and, you know, he, he was really attacked me absolutely viciously um uh, others too but me in particular devoted i think two columns to you know um saying that i should essentially be imprisoned um for uh expressing the slightest skepticism about the wisdom of the vaccine policy well earlier this week he was suspended by um the guardian media group um for historic uh, me too type allegations i think dating back quite some time um uh, and i think they first surfaced um uh, in 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 2018 and then again in 2020 and um he's been quite litigious about shutting down um anyone who tries to uh, raise these allegations but they were recently raised again by Jolian Morm um uh, and um uh, this time um uh he's been suspended uh pending the outcome of an, of an investigation into these historic allegations wow. now you know I, I i wouldn't really wish that on anyone but if it is going to happen. <laughs> the voodoo doll is working all your enemies are falling toby one by one christopher snowden had a little poppy as well i saw yes um yes snowden is um he's an odd fish because uh on many issues, he's he's very sound. You know, he's anti the nanny state. Um, he's very good on you know all the kind of uh, balls surrounding obesity and smoking and drinking. You know, he's been a kind of a warrior against kind of public health Nazis for decades, and yet. Like Nick Cohen, he completely sided with the lockdown establishment. Actually, seemingly a bit ambivalent at first, but then now he seems to have gone all in, all in on the vaccines anyway. And he he he's rebranded the Daily Skeptic, um, the Vaccine Skeptic, which uh, and, and he he sort of hasn't gone quite as far as Nick Cohen, but he sort of uh, he tweeted something earlier this week saying, you know, Toby, at the end of your life, would you look back and think uh, and take any pride in the fact that you, you you kind of manipulated statistics to take advantage of people's ignorance to discourage them from getting vaccinated? And I'm, of course, I immediately replied, you know, do you think at the end of your life you, you may come to regret um, uh, smearing anyone who raised the slightest reservations about the efficacy and safety of these vaccines? We're talking about journalists here, not politicians. And, and you know, I can understand a, a politician, you know, having an agenda. But but the idea that, that journalists just have this one track and never examine 
the data, the science, uh, you know, for vaccines. I'm, I'm not an anti-vaxxer. I think vaccines are a wonderful thing. I mean, they kept me free of polio. I mean, a whole load of horrible things have come about in, in my lifetime. And, and, and it's extended or helped extend uh, medical science. And, and they've helped extend, as, as with a lot of pharmacology, uh, uh, lifestyles. Uh, uh, sorry, lifespan. Uh, so I'm certainly not an anti-vaxxer. But, but the idea that... Uh, in the lockdown, you saw it, and you see it all the time in the climate. The idea that you should never question the science. Where does this come from uh, in, in journalism? Surely, um, journalists question, they ask questions, they, they probe, uh, they take different points of view, and, and they, they seek to tell um, a story as, as, not as they see it, but a, a, you know, a, a clear story. Um, and, and I wonder whether it's, it's to do, I mean, left and right wing uh, terms are a little bit sort of out of date, but certainly the idea of command and control, which lies behind net zero. Maybe it's an idea that uh, people of a left-wing disposition uh, are, are attracted to these ideas of the state taking over, the state locking everybody up with this great emergency, the state providing incomes. You know, the Guardian, I remember in the beginning of the lockdown, was writing stories about how wonderful it is that uh, we should have a national income. Look, look, what, look, look what furlough's doing now. They have so little idea of economics, it seems to me. They don't understand, for instance, that when you shut down a capitalist system, it's not a system as such. It, it is simply an aggregation of a billion uh, decisions that people make. And when you disturb that in this dramatic way, it doesn't just bounce back. And, 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 but it still seems to appeal to a lot of people that, you, that they, they look to control the world. They want to control the climate. They want to control... Um, uh, a disease they want to control when, you know, and, and it extends this micromanaging of when people can go out, what they eat, where they can fly, take away their cars, blah, blah, blah. And it's, and as I say, it seems to appeal to a particular type of agenda driven left wing journalists. Not that I would yeah. automatically assume that Andrew Nill was, 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 was one of those, but certainly it seems to appeal uh, uh, to the psyche of, of, of a lot of journalists. No, I was just going to say some of them suddenly temporarily became that, like Andrew Neil and others who, who you wouldn't have thought that was, you wouldn't have expected that from. And, and like we said, there's a hilarious phenomenon of, of left wing journalists saying, it. like the best one was Owen Jones saying, "I can't believe I'm asking a far right government to lock me down harder." It's like, <laughs> if you can't see the absurdity of your position at that point. Yeah, no, I think um, yeah, I think I think I think that's half the story, Chris. I think that. Um, the liberal anyone on the liberal left which unfortunately includes most members of our profession um that that their their kind of default solution to any problem any crisis is to um uh, increase the power of the state and reduce our liberty and it's as though you know that they they can't they can never really accommodate themselves to the crooked timber of humanity you know that that they, they 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 just they think that left to their own devices you know, um, ordinary people will just wreak havoc, cause chaos, um, cause damage. They need to be stewarded by this kind of these liberal philosopher kings. And um, yeah, I think that's part of it. I think it's just that the kind of uh, it, it's a sort of endemic philosophical problem with um, the kind of left liberal mindset. Uh, but I think another part of it is that um, as jur journalists um, are very status conscious, and it became established, I think, quite quickly at uh, the beginning uh, of the of the lockdown uh, policy in sort of May, sort of March 2020, that um, you know high status people were in favour of the lockdown because they that they they, they, they they believe in evidence based policy and um, they they think that policy should be guided by scientists and technocrats and anyone who who disputes that is um, a denier. Um, uh, uh, or they're anti-science. And, and when Trump kind of uh, identified himself with the kind of lockdown sceptics, that just confirmed their sense that it was only knuckle-dragging troglodytes who hadn't been to university that were opposed to lockdown. So in order to advertise their membership of the kind of educated club, they just embraced the policy. And also they, they couldn't resist the idea of, you know, acting responsibly. You know, ra rather than throwing stones at the windows of the establishment, suddenly the opportunity to kind of clamber into 
those boardrooms, look out at the kind of masses below, wag their fingers at them and tell them what they ought to be doing. They couldn't resist that. You know, it made them feel like they were suddenly kind of members of this elite club telling ordinary people how they should respond for their own benefit. And it would be irresponsible to express any scepticism at all about the policy because that might lead to less compliance and that in turn would lead to death. So they were sort of seduced by, I think, uh, 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 aligning themselves with with power, with authority, mm. and not just them. Mm. No, no. Uh, no, I agree. I agree. Um, uh, and, and you see it, you see it say, you know, you see it again in, in the climate business, uh, uh, the science is settled. Um, um, Prince Harry told the United Nations uh, that the science was beyond dispute, for instance. And, and um uh, and and more sort of perhaps look at his own rather modest educational attainments and think that a lot of things were were <laughs> beyond dispute, and and they and 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 they seem to the, the elites, for want of a better word, seem to sort of coalesce behind this idea. As you as you say, it's a group thing. It's a high status opinion. It, it's a high status opinion to sh- to say that the world, uh, unless we mend our wicked ways and all the little people who you know clutter up the beaches in 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 the south of France when we want to go there. Um, if they just mend their ways and stay indoors, and 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 uh, it would all be okay. Uh, I mean, Joanna Lumley, uh, her Lumliness uh, last year uh, uh, suggested that we ought to go on to some sort of wartime rationing to save the climate. And but one doesn't assume that uh, uh, her Lumliness again will be living on a tin of snook and 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 a piece of thin bread and marge for her evening supper. It it, it applies to to them, as I say, to go back to the Windsor princesses. Uh, Prince Charles, uh, you know, foresaw the end of consumerism ten years ago, but it certainly didn't apply to him. It didn't apply to his four um, uh, four uh, uh, palaces that he, he keeps around around the UK. It doesn't stop him. I think I saw it. I, I make sure I sort of quote it right. He took twenty two internal flights, uh, internal flights uh, around the UK last year. So it doesn't stop him using cars, trains, uh, private trains, in fact, no less. Um, so, so it's it's all this idea that uh, it's a, it's a war almost against the little people, um, and and it, what what you said was interesting, Toby. I mean, I have a sort of um, go back to a, a Catholic background, and and uh, on the more fundamentalist side, uh, you know, the, the Catholics still believe that we're all going to hell in a handcart, and and but the way that they retain their sanity is they say, well, we all know we're going to hell in a handcart, but we might as well have a party on the way. Uh, and somehow humans have always been going to hell in the handcart. Human society is messy. It, uh, it erupts in all sorts of ways. But somehow we're social animals. Somehow we've managed to become the dominant species on Earth. Somehow we've managed, uh, particularly in the last three or four hundred years, to provide a standard of living that is, is unimaginable to anybody who else who's ever lived on this planet. So I, I, I sort of remain always optimistic about humans, uh, but, but accepting that, you know, they are flawed to say the least but i don't i don't seek and i don't I, but i don't seek to try and corral them i don't seek to you know insist that they they, they have to sort of you know obey the dictate of, of these high stages opinions and and uh, um moderate the consumption and stay indoors and don't uh, wear masks and uh, have vaccines that state mandates um it's it's it, 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 it's a you know, for someone who's been on the planet, I've been on it for a few years, it, 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 things are changing. It wasn't like this a few years ago. There, there was that the, uh, there is a lot more authoritarian uh, uh, moves afoot. Uh, and again, if you're an historian, you know that this happens all the time. Uh, I'll finish briefly. You look at the pinched faces of these people. You see them on the TV studios of, of uh, Stock Oil. And you see their sort of pinched faces, the young and... and uh, they're, they're, they're absolutely certain of, of, of their their campaign um, uh, of gluing themselves to all paintings, and you see the same faces in the faces of the Red Guard, and you see the same faces in paintings of the Puritan with their pointed hats. You see the same faces throughout history, the, the Puritans, the people who think that they've got the answer, the people who have a new faith, which of course climate change is, and the people who want to actually control everybody else. Yeah, I think that 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 I think yeah, I think I think that. They clearly the, the the people who are the most fanatical about um, net zero and the people who are most fanatical about the lockdowns in this country 
very much fall uh, on the um, Puritan side of the aisle. Uh, and one of the disappointing things, I think probably the most disappointing thing about the uh, defenestration of Boris Johnson is that he was a kind of standard bearer for the Cavaliers. You know, I mean, there was a brief aberration in which he embraced the lockdown policy. But if we can set that aside, you know, most of his life, he's been a cavalier. You know, he famously said that um, if you vote conservative, your wife will have bigger breasts and you're more likely to drive a BMW M3. Um, his attitude to, you know, um, bourgeois sexual morality is very much that of, uh, you know, uh, Charles the um, uh, first. He, he's uh, he's 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 always he's always been a kind of Benny Hill type character. He's always appealed to that side, the raspberry blowing, cocksnooking side of the kind of British character. And, to, and you see all these kind of Puritans celebrating now that, you know, he, he wasn't able to summon enough of his inner Puritan. I mean, he, he summoned it during the lockdown and that was terrible. But when it came to, you know, not appointing, you know, Pincher as uh, Pincher by name, Pincher by nature as his kind of one of his whips, he, he couldn't summon enough of his inner Puritan to kind of uh, to realise that, that that would have been frowned upon. And I think the kind of co- commentariat and the the political class more generally have a kind of puritanical streak running th- running through them and in the end it was that streak that boris offended and that's that's why he came unstuck i think he just he was just too cavalier in the yeah. end but, but, but you know you, you know him quite well because you went to college with him didn't you so so what i i don't understand looking on the outside to an extent is how can a man be like that and how can you spend 25 years in journalism and then become prime minister which you know uh, journalists occasionally do um, uh, or, or rarely do. Um, how can he suddenly decide that everything I wrote, I'll just ignore, uh, and I'll, I'll simply act in a way that I spent twenty-five years describing how appalling it is, and and, and uh, 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 it, 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 it's a bit of a mystery. And, and I think he deserves to fall. Um, I think he deserves because he had his chance, and as soon as he got in, he went in with this all this net zero thing. I mean, he used to talk about you know uh, wind uh, power wouldn't uh, uh, take the skin off a rice pudding. Um, uh, it was all very fun and games when he was writing for the Telegraph and the Spectator, but as, as, as soon as he got a chance, he blew it. Yes, and it'll be interesting to see whether you know when he's out of Downing Street, he'll resume his Telegraph column and just immediately take up where he left off and become a kind of climate change skeptic and you know anti-authoritarian, very pro-free speech, kind of playing to the Tory gallery and just pretend <laughs> that the two years he had as Prime Minister, when he could have actually put some of this into action, he just didn't bother with it. All right, so do we want to move on to the uh, football, Toby, since you were, you were very keen on it? I was... Uh... I mean, I'm I'm slightly less keen than you. I, I was slightly misanthropic on it. I mean, I, I did tweet that it's annoying to see all the people who've been threatening women's sport by saying biological men should be allowed to compete suddenly support the lionesses. And I said, I'm the exact opposite. I've repeatedly defended women's sport, but I don't want to actually watch it, which was my misanthropic take. But you seem to be really into it. I haven't decided where it falls in the culture war because, uh, I mean, Liz Truss, to, to keep our through line of Liz Truss going, said that she's going to harness the spirit of the lionesses in that hosting. So everyone's jumping on the bandwagon some people who didn't defend women's sport. But Julie Birchall's written an article I haven't had a chance to read yet. But, I, but we've already been told the team is too white. So there seems to be like a woke element to it, an agenda-critical mm. element to it. I mean, you're sort of supporting it, Toby. I think it might backfire and you might find this is a woke thing that's going to be used against you in future. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, I, I certainly don't have, obviously don't have... Um, uh, don't have any sympathy for the criticism that the team was too white. Um <laughs> Uh, that seemed to me to be very silly and produced uh, an appropriate backlash. Um, yeah, I, I think um, I think there is a tension in um, uh, the gender critical position who've simultaneously been celebrating the success of the lionesses and are very um, opposed to trans women competing against women in women's sports. Often, women who um, if you, if, if you talk to, you know, feminists about women's football, um, they will often tell you that actually um, the only reason, um, you know, it, it, it isn't quite as exciting as men's football to watch um, uh, uh, is because, and it doesn't attract the same sort of, you know, 
global audiences that you know Premier League football does is because not enough, not 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 much money, not anything like as much money has been invested in it. Um, it's it's at an embryonic stage in its um, in its in its uh, evolution, and if as much money had been invested in it and has been invested in men's football, and if women had been playing football, um, uh, you know, for more than a hundred years, and it had the same support system and sky was broadcasting it and so on and so forth um then it would be every bit as exciting and draw just the same sort of audiences and make the same kind of command the same sort of you know global budgets that that premier league football does and you kind of think well but i thought there was you know how isn't this supposed to be actually kind of you know there is surely there are differences between men and women which is why you don't want biological men to be able to compete against women in women's sports you know they just aren't as strong they don't have the same explosive energy um uh they don't have quite as much stamina when it comes to this kind of physical contact sports they're they're more easily hurt um uh you know um uh, but so you can't kind of have it both ways you know yeah. you have, if, if 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 you're a gender critical feminist thinks it's unfair to allow biological men who identify as women to compete against women in women's sports, then you have to acknowledge that um, in some sports, it's just going to be less exciting to watch women than it is to watch men. But having said all that, I did quite enjoy the um, cup, uh, the, 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 the Euro final at Wembley. I was trying to watch it in Iceland. I've just got back from holiday in Iceland where I was with my family. And we were trying to watch it on, you know, using internal car Wi-Fi. So we kept getting the spinning wheel of death. Um, and, uh, but, you know, the, the moments we were able to see were quite exciting. And um, even though, you know, it was, I'd sort of compare it to watching a, a League Two game, I think. Um, uh, so, you know, the teams were quite evenly matched. So that made it quite exciting. There was quite a lot at stake. But the skills on view, I mean, there were quite a lot of misplaced passes. Both sides kicked it out seemingly unnecessarily um, uh, quite often. Um, and, uh, you know, they would huff and puff to get to the ball. And, you know, they, they, there was a, no one, no, no player seemed to have what we'd call pace in the men's game. You know, um, uh, uh, and, 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 and even though the, the, the England's first goal, you know, Toon, I think it was, who scored it, it was a pretty good chip she did over the goalkeeper's head and it sailed in just under the bar. But the goalkeeper was off her line and... Ultimately, I attribute that goal not to sublime skill on the part of Toon, but it was a goalkeeping error, basically. And, um, and England's winning goal also wasn't very... It, it was sort of stabbed in after a goal-mouth melee. And I think uh, Chloe... What's she called? Um, Chloe Kelly, um, uh, the QPR supporter, um, uh, who scored the winning goal. So I've got to give her that. Um, uh, she, she missed the f- her first attempt to stab it in. She just missed it completely. And then second attempt, she did manage to get a foot to it because the goalkeeper fumbled it. But yeah, it was... It was it was like it was like watching you know it was a, from a, from a, to compare it to it was a bit like kind of you know um, uh, Port Vale versus Scunthorpe on a rainy Tuesday night sort of quality of football. Yeah, I felt the same in the semi final. Sorry, I was going to say very briefly. I felt the same in the semi final when the back heel went in. It was a very clever back heel, but it went through a defender and straight past the keeper along the ground. The only thing I could think of similar was Dennis Law in 1974 when he accidentally relegated Man United and he felt really bad because he was playing for Man City and he felt so bad he couldn't celebrate. But I looked at his again, there was, it was right in front of the keeper, there was no defender, so it wasn't quite the same. But I was assured in Crouch End, North London, that uh, the keepers had got much better and I wasn't allowed to make jokes about the. I suddenly realised this is the current thing we have to support and I'm not even allowed to mock the keepers anymore. So I was, I was swiftly reprimanded. Yeah. One thing about the pay, just quickly, the pay is the other thing, is the other controversy. And I looked at his tweet that said, now women, now pay women the same as men and we can really celebrate. And I thought, the only way you can really think that is if you're a communist or a socialist, because it's completely absurd because they don't generate anywhere near the same revenue. Then I looked at who it was Mm -hmm. from. It was socialist NHS nurses. (laughs) It's had a group (laughs) of socialist nurses working in the NHS. I was like, well, fair play. They are literally socialists. (laughs) Yeah. I, I, wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't knock uh, the scuffed in goal, by the way, Toby. I mean, you're disrespecting the, almost the entire career of Jimmy Greaves if you, if you do that. <laughs> also, yeah, Gary Lineker as well, actually, come to think of it. it, it the odd thing is you, you're not allowed to say anything, you know, remotely satirical yeah. um, uh, about about women's football, particularly in the wake of the um, success of the you know team in the final. It's just that you know, it's absolute heresy. It's completely taboo. If, yeah. if you have any reservations about you know women's football, you just have to keep them to yourself. You risk being cancelled. And, and and the kind of rationale is that you know um, watching these women 
bring it home for England, um, will inspire countless generations of young women to take up football. And if you in any way take the mickey out of women's football or say it's even slightly less exciting to watch than men's football, then you might be discouraging, you know, these generations of young women from taking up football. Like, but why is that such a morally desirable object? I mean, why do we really want generations of women to take up football? I mean, what's wrong with netball? I mean, is it so is it so inferior? Oh, acknowledging you. that traditional women's sports like lacrosse and, and netball are inferior in, in the only way women can kind of uh, succeed and uh, is if they play sports traditionally associated with men. Yeah, I, I certainly sympathise with everyone who doesn't like football for the first time because because I'm a terrible misogynist, I'm not that interested in the women's game and everyone's going on about it. And I suddenly, oh, this is how everyone felt all those years when I went on about football. So I have learned some empathy there. And the, <laughs> the other criticism is that no one cares about the club football so they don't support the women's game financially. They just show up, glory supporters showing up for the final, the internationals rather than the club game. This is Toby Young, founder of The Daily Skeptic. Uh, we rely almost entirely on voluntary donations to make all this work, to employ all the people we do, uh, to bring you all this information. Um, we get very few ads. Um, so please do donate. Go to www dailyskeptic.org hit the donor box button on the home page whatever you can afford every little helps and if you want to comment regularly below the line um if you if you donate at least five pounds a month you'll be able to do that or 50 pounds a year um thank you thank you for listening and thank you for reading the daily skeptic it was the it was the first um women's match i'd ever watched and and i think like toby i you know, I was pleasantly surprised. It, it was, you know, it was it was reasonably exciting. I mean, that was obviously a lot of it was to do with the fact there was a lot at stake. Um, yeah, but the skill yeah. level wasn't, you know, it was Division Two. Yes, I mean, it, it was. Division Two. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I was I was pleasantly surprised. I sort of I, th- I guess I was expecting it to be more like kind of walking football for the over fifty fives, but actually it was it was it was it was better than that. <laughs> no. um, but the problem the the problem that nobody that hasn't been really uh, understood, and it's the same in the American game, is that I'm actually in favour of young girls you know uh, playing football it's a brilliant game you know jumpers for goalposts and you don't need anything just the ball it's better than they play that than rugby or something you know but uh, uh, which women seem to be also sort of uh, you know some women are sort of play um but th- it's a lack of competition that's that's at the moment that's the problem england in, in scored 20 goals and they conceded two that doesn't usually you don't see that in the men's game when they win a world cup um in, in other words they beat up a lot of you know poor teams so there really wasn't an exciting match until the very late stages. And you see that with the World Cup as well. Now, that will change if the women's game does take off. And, and, and I would say good luck to them. I mean, uh, uh, absolutely. Uh, if the women's if game does take off, if more kids play it, uh, more, uh, more girls play it on, on the playing fields. And, and remember, in this country, the reason we have such a strong women's side is that it's basically supported by, uh, uh, by the Premier League, by, by, by the men's game. Uh, that they're all part of, um, you know, the, the, these big teams, and and there's plenty of money around. Um, if, if if you can strengthen the league, if you can uh, encourage people, I think it's good. I mean, I, I enjoy watching women's tennis. In fact, I, I prefer watching women's tennis to to men's tennis, which is really just bish bash bosh, and they all sit there for you know, Wimbledon. It's five hours, and you know, sometimes you'd rather go and watch a pot of paint dry. Sometimes because um, when all said and done, they are just putting one ball into one square and then doing it into another but but the women's game is it's is uh, 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 looking at Emma Raducanu for instance in, in the recent US Open uh, there's a grace and beauty to it um and and their subtlety and skill and and a very very high level and so uh, I think that women's football is we're not you know it's, it is not going to be the same as men's football but it may well at, at a certain level it may well be have its own um reasons for watching its own sort of particular uh, things that people appreciate so Chris has written two very interesting pieces. The first one was uh, no warming in the US for at least 17 years. And I was very worried because I want to eat the bugs and I want to own nothing and be happy. And I'm a bit worried that if this article is correct, I might not be able to. Chris, can you explain the piece? Yeah, you might have a problem with that. Uh, we might have to carry on as we are. Um, yeah. We might have to net zero and, and carry on our, what I say, 99.9% of humans who ever lived on the planet. But we carry on with our envious lifestyle. There might be no need to change. And I don't think there's any need to change anyway, because, you know, what people often don't realise about climate science is there is no single paper that proves conclusively, uh, peer-reviewed, 
conclusive proof that humans cause all the most climate change. Um, they simply don't know what the temperature will be if you double CO2 in the atmosphere. Um, but on the, uh, the case of, uh, uh, of the warming, global warming, it seems, really ran out of steam 20 years ago, about 1998. Uh, there was a pause uh, from 2012, and there was a bit of a blip up uh, in the mid-2016, uh, uh, and El Nino came along and, and, and pushed up temperatures temporarily. And since then, there's been another eight-year pause. Um, and if you look at the satellite records and you look at the meteorological records for the balloons, you will see that there is you know, very, very little warm. Um, uh, interestingly, the Met Office actually uh, produced a book on the pause, attributing it to a, a number of events such as the heat was hiding in the ocean. Well, that didn't go down awfully well. So, But have no fear, because all of the surface databases, and in particular the Met Office one I'm thinking of, since about 2013, they've adjusted the global surface temperature, and they've adjusted it upwards. The Met Office run this thing called the Hadcrop Had uh, database, and since 2013, there's been 30% more heating added to the recent record. And not only that, but they reduce heating for the historical record, if you like, which makes the uh, jump up even even more uh, obvious. And on the basis of that, they declare records, and it's the t- ten highest records and whatever since you know uh, uh, since since the turn of the, uh, the century. What you do get, of course, is that you get, uh, you not only get these upward adjustments, adjustments which we've seen with NOAA, which is the US Weather Service, and uh, NASA, similar adjustments. They all use the same databases. Um, and you've seen these, the, 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 these, these movements. But there are, as I said, um, certain databases that, that haven't been uh, adjusted in this way. And we recently ran a story uh, which was based on a very good report on the weather stations of, of NOAA. US Weather Service. We recently ran a story on a small subset that they've set up. Uh, that, uh, as a result of a lot of criticism of urban heat, um, uh, which, which has affected a lot of these databases. Uh, I mean, the Met Office, for instance, is always declaring temperatures at Heathrow, which is probably the least um, plausible uh, place to uh, declare a, a record temperature. Uh, what, what NOAA in America did was in 2005, they set up a subset Uh, called the Climate Research uh, Network. And this was 114 stations specifically sited away from any urban development and and, and specifically sited away from anywhere where there was was likely to be urban development within the next five decades. And they had this uh, data and uh, uh, this uh, report, uh, as I said, that that came out recently, uh, which was looking at um, uh, the the entire NOAA uh, weather stations, a a meteorologist called Anthony Watts. He referred to this, and you saw that the data from 2005, there was no change in the temperature. There were oscillations up and down, but there was essentially no warming in uh, continental US. Uh, now, what does this mean? It means that this looks like to be a very, very accurate record. It hasn't been adjusted. It hasn't been corrupted by uh, most weather stations, which are in urban areas. And it looks to be a very, very good set of data that indicates Again, the evidence that's piling up, that, that warming uh, in uh, the last 20 years, there hasn't been very much of it. So um, uh, that was the significance of the story. Um, and uh, it, as, as they say, it, it asks questions. Questions need to be asked. If this is so, uh, if global warming uh, has run out of steam, uh, it does, as you can imagine, put, pull one of the planks away from uh, uh, promoting this political agenda, which is what net zero is. Yeah, you even said him on the piece of the, the, the settled climate ideology is a political construct designed to radically change and control economic and social lifestyles across the world. As with all ideologies, ideologies, it relies on a great deal of faith and the ruthless suppression of alternative narratives, which I thought was a very succinct way of... Well, it does. And, and, and we'll come on to the second piece that, that, that I wrote uh, with the, um, uh, the, the fact that the BBC and the Met Office referred to unprecedented levels of trolling and it turns out that one of these, uh, uh, this unprecedented level of trolling, one, one, one example they gave was someone told them to get a grip. Um, the, the, and, and, and one uh, Met Office, uh, um, Alex Deacon, I think his name was, uh, a, a lead uh, meteorologist at the Met Office, uh, told people to have a little bit of respect. Um, a, a BBC journalist, Matt Taylor, um, uh, wrote, and this was a, this was a big piece in, on, on the BBC site, and it got picked up because I think it was, 
uh, it was originally started by the Met. It got picked up by a lot of mainstream media. Uh, Matt Taylor said he'd never known anything like it in 25 years of, 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 of reporting. And I looked at his Twitter feed over the period of this uh, heatwave, because of, I'm sorry, I should mention that the trolling was over the recent brief heatwave. So I looked at his Twitter feed over, over it. There wasn't any abuse at all. I mean, there weren't that many tweets, but most of it was, if you like, almost fan mail. Thank you for the great job you're doing. And there was one sarcastic comment that said, we're doomed, Captain Mannering. We're doomed. So... <laughs> So the BBC and the Med Office, and they may well have had some unpleasant uh, 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 emails. I don't know. They didn't publish any that appear to be particularly unpleasant. Um, and I made the point, of course, um, is that a lot of these people routinely use the word denial. And the reason they use the word denial is they want to somehow link people who question climate science to people who deny the existence of the Nazi Holocaust. And they sometimes say, oh, no, we didn't mean that, we didn't mean that. But I remember when they were using it and specifically referring to it, and we all know what they mean. Um, and uh, so they feel able to use these tropes, call people deniers, you know, with its reference to you know what. Uh, they feel quite happy to sort of hurl abuse around and this sort of thing. But they complain when someone tells them to get a grip. <laughs> you couldn't make it up. So it reminds me a little bit of the unvaccinated documentary, which I talked about elsewhere. And I know Toby's talked about the BBC did a recent documentary and uh, and the whole premise was we need to convince you plebs to take the vaccine. It wasn't let's have an honest inquiry about the vaccine pros and cons. And it seems very similar to me with climate change. It's all we need to get this message across to you. How do we do it? Shut up, plebs. You're not supposed to complain. Yeah, the, the, there's a real reluctance to um, engage in debate about these critical issues, whether it's climate change, the uh, safety and effectiveness of the vaccines, uh, the lockdown policy. And you know, even though these are incredibly important, politically contentious policies with far reaching effects that, you know, affect all of us, um, somehow they're off limits. You know, they're, they're not proper, they're not considered proper subjects for democratic debate in the public square. And if you challenge people on the kind of, uh, you know, establishment side, um, of the debate on any of those issues, um, you know, th the response isn't to kind of engage, um, but to smear you either as someone who's trafficking in misinformation or conspiracy theories, or that um, you're, what you're saying is abusive in some way, I mean, or disrespectful, you know, um, it, it, it's just, it, 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 it really reflects the weakness of their position. And I think um, one, one source of hope I have is that as people um, realise that uh, they were sold a bill of goods about the lockdowns um, uh, and, and they realised that, you know, the models that were used to justify the lockdown policy uh, are quite unreliable um, and that the sort of kind of people who style themselves as these kind of apolitical scientists who are just kind of reporting the facts actually often have a kind of uh, progressive agenda, that they'll be much more sceptical about what they're being told by climate change scientists and so-called climate change experts and meteorologists and BBC oh. weathermen and David Attenborough and Greta Thunberg and Prince Harry and Uncle Tom Cobbley and all. Um, uh, the the, 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 the scepticism that's been engendered um, by people kind of, uh, you know, um, uh, uh, I don't want to say waking up exactly, but um, people, I think, uh, asking, you know, um, uh, important questions about the the lockdowns and the vaccines. They'll also start asking questions about climate change, and and the and the um, it'll be harder and harder for people who want us to change our ways um, uh, not to engage in actual debate in the public square about these very important issues. Well, I'd be interested to, to know, Toby, when you think that they will start to question. I mean, my view is that they will start to question when, when, when people turn around and say, oh, you mean that blackout? Oh, I didn't think I was supposed to have a blackout. And, oh, uh, not have a car by 2030. Well, I didn't think you were talking about my car. Oh, you can't go to um, Ibiza. Oh, I didn't think you were going to stop that. Oh, you know, and I think that there will be, I don't know, it'd be very interesting that if there is a sort of a, a major turn down in economic activity, whatever the reason, and this thing starts to bite and, and people are faced with eating insects instead of uh, prime rump steak, I think people are going to sort of uh, tend not to vote for politicians who are in favour of that. I mean, <laughs> but maybe by this time, there won't be a functioning democracy. I don't know. If you, 
if one's being if one's being very sort of you know dystopian. Uh, I mean, certainly I, I read the Guardian. I, I never find any great support for democracy in, in the Guardian, and I assume this is really the House Journal along with the BBC of um, of the people who are planning this for us. Yeah, well, I know that. Um, I think it was I don't, Liz Truss has also said um, that uh, uh, she, she she will pause the net zero policy and look at its impact. She hasn't said she'll abandon it, um, but she has said that she'll look again at it, um, which I guess is progress. And let's hope we can hold her to it. I was just going to say, I mean, you, you again, you worry, is that just a thing to say to the members now? But yeah, I certainly agree. This is the coming battle between the, depending on how conspiratorial you want to go, between the Klaus Schwab world of the WEF and the Great Reset versus the ordinary people who are going to have cost of living. As you say, they won't be able to go on holiday We'll have to eat the bugs and be happy. So that surely is, the, and the climate lockdowns, that surely is the coming conflict. However dystopian you want to go or however realist, that, that's definitely, the, whether it's just net zero, reducing our quality of life, or whether it, it gets very dystopian, that must be the coming conflict we're about to face. And to be fair to a lot of climate extremists, uh, you know, the George Monbiers as well, they make no secret of what they're planning. I mean, right. I say read Guardian, which unfortunately I have to do for matters of business, uh, but read the bloody Guardian and, and see what they're saying. He wants to end farming. He essentially wants to end food, as far <laughs> as I can gather. We'll have it in the lab. We'll eat this stuff in the lab and, and read what they're saying. And they, they do say, like, you know, the, 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 the Mrs. Uh, uh, Miss Lumley, you know, I mean, they, they want to put us on wartime diets, it seems. They talk about all these things. They fantasize. Um, and it's not as if this is going to come as a great shock. And, and I think that once people see any of this, oh, you mean, oh, you mean it applies to me? Oh, I don't think so, no. <laughs> and they'll, they'll, they'll either vote accordingly or, or, or take um, action to stop these people, these maniacs, in, in my view, these maniacs who want to turn back human progress, turn back progress that our ancestors have fought long and hard for, invented stuff, uh, exploited the earth, as indeed all species uh, do, and I don't mean that in a in a bad way, uh, in order to, to you know provide us with standard living, and I I think people are just going to say, oh no, sorry mate, you know I don't like the sound of that. We'll have to you know get lost on the Daily Skeptic. We look at the science, so we're looking at okay, you say this, and and I would be the first to say if there's an existential threat to the planet. I'd be the first person to say yes, you've got to do that. You've got to eat snook and and and, and bread and mark. But so they will look at the science, and, and this is what a lot of the, the commentary that we do in the Daily Skeptic, as we did with the lockdown, is we look at the science, and 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 you will see that the the, the theory of atmospheric science is there's still at base camp. There's a lot they don't understand about the science. They don't understand about the heat exchanges. They don't understand about the effect of CO2. There are a lot of different theories, and all of this because they know that this is a, a major topic in science, uh, and this is what we look at. But of course, anybody who does that is called a denier and, and uh, saying, why are you doing it? The science is settled. All right. Thank you very much to Toby and Chris. So please subscribe to this podcast wherever it appears. Like it, review, all those things. And of course, go to the Daily Skeptic website and donate if you can. 